Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in weekly to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. Welcome, everybody, to the Family Biz Show. I am your host, Michael Columbus, and today we have a treat for all of you. Um, we're joined with, by Russ Allen Prince, who runs Private Wealth Magazine. Um, welcome, Russ. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be here. So one of the traditions that we have on the show, Russ, is we just ask people to kind of tell us about your journey. Um, I know you well, and I'm going to I'm going to, you know, share what I've learned about you through 20 years of following you. Um, but most people probably haven't heard of Russ Allen Prince unless, you know, they're familiar with family offices and they're in the high net worth space. Um, even then, you may not have heard about you. But tell me, tell us about yourself and your journey. Well, I understand. I'm sort of in a little niche corner of the world. And it's just a few people, generally speaking, compared to the masses that are out there. So, yeah, I probably am not that well known, and it sort of works for both me and for everybody else. Still, uh, let's say it goes all the way back to when I was first getting my undergraduate degree at SUNY at Stony Brook out on Long Island, and I stayed around. I was going working on my PhD in sociology. Um, after six years, they gave me a master's degree as a consolation prize, and I went on to get an MBA from Columbia. But while I was at Stony Brook, an interesting thing happened. I went out to the Hamptons and got involved in charity work. And I learned something really interesting. I learned about trust babies, and I started dating them before they were popular. So <laughs> I started learning about this world of, I'll say, wealthy individuals that was very different than when I grew up in Brooklyn in a row house. So I got used to that. Um, used to that is a nice term because life was more fun to be honest with you when you had more money. So that was my first exposure to the very wealthy. After Columbia, I went to work for Bankers Trust, which unless you're as old as I am, you don't know who Bankers Trust is, but it was merged into Chase at a later <laughs> date. And I found that corporate environments don't work well for me. They have meetings and then they have more meetings. And I'm not sure if anybody's doing anything, but there's lots and lots of meetings. Went off on my own, that's over 30 years ago. And since then, I've been researching the wealthy. I've been researching professionals. And more than anything else, I started working with them directly. I started working with them in helping them develop high-performing single-family offices. I work with professionals to help them deliver more value to their wealthier clients. So that sort of brings us up to date. Okay. And you know, today you're the editor of Private Wealth Magazine. Um, I'm also the writer. Right. Uh, the, the 
figuring out how to put it on the back end of the system, which takes forever somehow. Yeah, Private Wealth Magazine is an online magazine that focuses on how to deliver greater value to the wealthy if you're an advisor or professional. And it shows the professionals what the wealthy are looking for. And it focuses on the wealthy and those single family offices and how they could be more effective in working with professionals and working with the different providers they're looking to you know, derive value from. Yeah. And I like, like I said, I know you're a former contributor to Forbes. Um, I know that you've written, you know, or co-written, co-authored close to or over 60 books at this point. So, you know, the it goes, the knowledge in this arena is probably one of the deepest in this in this segment. So, you know, for those of you running a family business, we're going to talk, you know, we're, we're going to be focusing in on some of the unique things that you may be experiencing as we go through this, you know, this podcast. Um, but there's a, you, you know, I, my experience, Russ, and it may not be the same as yours, but, you know, dealing with that, that middle market, very successful family business. And when I, you know, what I mean by that is somebody that's been able to do over $10 million of revenue up to that $250 million of revenue business. Mm -hmm. And they, they are first, second, maybe third generation, but they're still, they, they still look and say, we did all this work. And even though they are wealthy, they rarely feel wealthy and think that they're wealthy is what I, my experience with many of them, even if they own a plane, I had, you know, or they, they own a, you know, we'll, they call it a boat, but it costs, you know, 500,000 to a million dollars for that boat. Um, and, and so it's just, I think there's like this, um, kind of like this push and pull yin and yang of, you know, I'm just like everybody else that put my pants on one leg at a time and they're the salt of the earth kind of people building these family businesses. And yet, you know, they forget where they are and that, or they don't even know, you know, because they, they compare themselves to their friends who, you know, not all of them are wealthy. Thoughts around that? I was engaged once by a, uh, very wealthy business owner who had a net worth of about $500 million who defined himself as upper middle class. So he was really upper, 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 upper middle class if you want to go that way. And the problem in making this calculation is that most of the people he was dealing with were worth billions. So people tend to rate themselves on a comparative scale and they tend to look up, not down. So people don't look at the fact that, okay, if you're making a million dollars in income, which some of these business owners are making, that's 0.01% of the world population. Now that's not a big number. I don't care how you look at it. So what we really have is a situation where people have this illusion sometimes of what it is to be wealthy. And the problem is, is that it's an illusion and people don't realize 
where they stand in the situation, where things are sort of matching up. For example, inflation is becoming a bigger issue nowadays. Right. Right. And it matters to some people when they go to the store, they see the cost of things and have to make decisions not to buy something because of that. Well, most of the people we're talking about don't have that decision-making question. It's like, okay, yeah, it's really miserable. It's, you know, bread is a dollar more. Okay, and then they just take the bread. So there's a real difference between the reality of who is making money and how that is working and how these people are experiencing it. For example, if you're a business owner and something happens in your family and there's a medical issue and you do not think twice about what you need to do, yeah. right? that is a big difference than what most of the world has to deal with and most of the people in the US have to deal with. They have real concerns that I have to trade off. When you go to the gas station and you see that gas is $5, and you say, that's terrible as you fill up your tank and drive away. And that was the last thought you had about that. Where other people are saying, well, I'm only going to take three gallons this time. So what you get is it's a psychological factor, how people are comparing themselves to think about it. I once wrote a book called The Middle Class Millionaire, where people are, where people have millions of dollars, but they don't think of themselves as being millionaires or rich because the millionaires, well, they have much more. Somehow in their mind, they have the bigger boat or they have the, the fancier cars. And a lot of this has to do with how people sometimes are brought up, meaning that you have the values that are middle-class. Yes. And if you hold the values that are middle-class, you see yourself as middle-class. But that doesn't mean you, from a net worth or wealth perspective, you're middle-class because you're not. And now that leads to all sorts of other issues you might be having and other complications in your life, but you're not worried about the fact inflation is up. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because you, I think you just hit the nail on the head, middle-class millionaire. I love that. And I, as you said that, I'm like, I read that book. Um, so the, the dichotomy here for a lot of these people is, you know, Grandma and grandpa started the business. Grandma and grandpa never got wealthy. They just started this foundation of a business and it, and it fed everybody, right? And then, and then their children took over the business. And you know, if they've done, done a good job, they've now created a lifestyle that was above and beyond what mom and dad were able to do. And you know, now in the, going into the third generation, and, and I'm just... I, I, I have a, a client that just, you know, pops right in my head. You know, the second generation took what mom and dad did that they had gotten to about a million dollars of revenues and turned it into a $10 million annual revenue business that took care of everybody in the family really, really well. Well, when the next generation was coming in, they're like, what fed three families is not going to feed eight. You know, what are we going to do here? Well, today they're doing almost $40 million a year. And again, no one thinks of themselves as wealthy, but yet they're running into, you know, so many estate planning issues and tax planning issues. And, you know, how are we going to transition the business? And the, what I hear over and over again is, 
man, it was so much easier when we didn't have money. And now we've got to jump through all these hoops. And I'm like, I'm sorry that you have first world problems. These are all those high class problems that people would prefer not to have. But when they really think about it, they rather have the high class problems than the other ones. Yeah. So everybody does turn around and say, okay, how do we do this? And what was really interesting when you talk about family businesses and the family dynamics and the ever expanding branches of the tree is that it gets very complicated. And that's one of the reasons why so many of them start to succumb or sell out over the generations. It's very hard to maintain this. It's one thing when you and your cousins growing up next door in the neighborhood were close and had a good relationship. And now, you know, you have cousins, they're in another state, for example, and you see them at least at every wedding and every funeral. Right. And that's about the only time you're going to see them. There's not really a close connection. And then you talk to families. I mean, all these problems start to arise. You talk to families. I like it because I was speaking to a family, fourth generation and the fifth generation, and they're asking me, okay, I'm a consultant. I am, you know, I don't know these people. I don't have any relationship with these people. They want me to talk to their kids who are in their 20s to explain to them that they have a bad work ethic and they should be, you know, focused on doing more. I said, well, yeah, okay. Having my own 20-year-old, I've learned that telling them him what to do is not always a very effective approach. And telling strangers what to do is probably less effective. And they just don't know what to do because they don't see anybody taking over the business now. And they are lost as to where they wanted to go. And they want to keep it because that's their legacy in their mind. Right. These problems start to arise all over the place. And it's complicated, severely complicated, because the professionals tend to be siloed, tend to be limited tend to be, uh, we call them pretenders, meaning that they have really good intentions, but they might not have the expertise to help address a lot of these issues. It's a combination of, okay, it's got more complicated. The laws are more complicated. The circumstances are more complicated. It's more pervasive, these issues. So more professionals are jumping into the pool so that looking to generate revenues out of this. And many of those people are just not up to the task. Yeah. So you have a complication here and it's shifting the whole balance. People are not getting the advice that they really need to make a significant difference and get the results they want. And unfortunately that is becoming a bigger and bigger part of this problem. That's interesting that you talk about that because I, you know, I feel that I see that I, as the, you know, I was the former president for the society of financial service Pro professionals in my area. And, you know, when, when I was talking or doing a case study and we would be jumping into these things, you know, a lot of the advisors would say, well, that's not my marketplace, you know, so why are we even talking about those things? You know, my marketplace is, you know, I've got a $400,000 IRA rollover. I mean, yeah, I retired a mom and pop across the kitchen table. 
And my set of problems are just this. So, you know, why do you want to dive into taxes and estate planning and all these, you know, business succession? It just, you know, can't we focus on case studies that are relevant to my client? And well, I think yeah, you have a good point. And that's great if that's what they want to do. The bigger problem, I think, is when those people have now decided they want to do the other stuff, but right. they have that limited skill set and knowledge base. I'll give you an example. Michael, you and I know that when you're talking to a family, a family business, and one of the big issues becomes income taxes. How do we, and that's true of all businesses, family business, non-business. For some reason, I think there's a general trend in the country that any way to legally pay less income taxes is a good thing. Yep. I'm gonna make that claim pretty comfortably. So, Michael, you and I know that you are able to work with these business owners and show them some, I'll say, not creative ways, but some very solid ways they can mitigate taxes. So you have a small business owner who has 30 some odd employees, family members, and it's very possible to show them some ways they can lower their income taxes by half a million to maybe $2 million. Now, what we're talking about isn't unique. It isn't something that Michael can do and nobody else can. That's not true. It's just not very common. And most professionals are just not aware of all the possibilities. And by not being aware of all the possibilities, they end up doing a disservice in my mind to the business owners, because all they can do is say, here, here's what I got. Here's what you get, because that's all I got. And that's understandable, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're, we're talking about being able to help business owners see all the possibilities so they can make better informed decisions. And that's the goal for the higher end professionals working in this space. And really, that's only a small percentage of the people who are running around this area, so to speak. Yep. Right? That becomes that becomes a big differentiator in the sense of if the family business wants to go down the generations, if the family business wants to limit the taxes they have to pay and do it obviously legally, the family business wants to focus on ensuring that the next generation is well prepared to handle the wealth and the capabilities, that they have the capabilities to run the business and run their lives effectively, if that is the agenda, well, most professionals are so siloed or as we said, pretenders or limited that those family businesses are not going to get those results. Yeah. I had a, a guest on a podcast who gave me really great advice. He had joined a, um, a CEO roundtable group that was, that was mostly family businesses um, at one of the family business centers in upstate New York. Um, and the, the coach said, you have blind spots that you don't even know about. And one of the things that I'm going to push each of you to do is that if you're going to be a part of this group, you need to go out and talk to 
a new accountant. You need to talk to two or three new attorneys and you need to talk to three or four new wealth advisors. And the idea that he that he took, and, and I know you talk about this on a pretty regular basis, but what happened is he, you know, for him is he's like, the person who got me to where I am didn't have any clue how to get me where I was going. And he didn't know that because he didn't hadn't talked to anybody different to find out the levels of different expertise that were available out there. That's exactly right. There's, I'll put it this way, all right? And I've been, as you mentioned, as we talked about, I've been actually researching this space for decades. And what's really obvious, and it hasn't changed, which is sort of almost disappointing after all the decades, is that most, most say these family business owners, they take for granted that the person they're talking to is really expert, is really capable, has all the depth, has all the access to all the resources. And that's very rarely the case. It's, it's not the norm for these different professionals to be as comprehensive in their thinking, have access to the types of strategies that might be effective, now, I'm not going to in any way say that that one individual you might be talking to knows all this stuff and can implement all this stuff. That's not true. That's not realistic. What they need is an expert team around them that they can pull together to provide this range of expertise and solutions. That's what you need because no one person is going to have that knowledge and depth. It just doesn't happen. Right. Right. So it's you too need, complicated today. It's much too complicated. Now, I talking to all these families, and we're talking to billionaires on a regular basis, for example, talking to all these families, I am able to, for example, identify most of the issues that come up and what can be done. Now, I just said I can identify the issues and I can identify what can be done. To be clear, I don't do any of this stuff. I don't actually do the implementation. I know that if you bring in this particular retirement plan, you're gonna save a million dollars in taxes and you're gonna get all the retirement monies back to you. I know how that works. I know how to take certain risk management strategies and where they fit. Okay, but I don't do it. I don't, for example, put that in. There are, and that's complicated. It's not something that just, okay, we're gonna pull it off the shelf. That's ridiculous. We're going to have to find the right experts, the right team to make this work. And one of the strangest things I've noticed, strangest, one of the most common things, and it's like, you know, I figured that people would catch on, but they don't. When you say, you know, your person said, you have to go talk to the next account and talk to the, okay, the problem I found in that, and I think it's a good idea, but there's a big, big catch. Do you know what questions to ask? Right. Okay, and most people don't know what questions to ask. And then if you ask the question, what's really interesting is that most people don't know how to interpret the answers. It's it just like, okay. No they, they haven't been trained in that. You know, it's, so it, it's a great, great analogy. You know that my, you know, my son just had a car accident, motorcycle accident, and that accident, we don't know who was at fault. Nobody was there. 
And I had several people say, Michael, did you, did you hire an attorney? And I'm like, no. And they're like, what do you tell your clients? Don't try to do this yourself. You need somebody on your corner to help you with this. And so, you know, I took the advice I give to clients and I, and after going through and listening to what you just said, it still wasn't enough. I interviewed three different attorneys and I just went with my gut and I don't know what to ask about that, that level of, you know, uh, service. Right. And that's the going with the gut, unfortunately, for most people is the default. Yeah. Okay. I have. I sort of, I liked the person. I said, good for you. You should have a drink with the person. That doesn't mean they're going to get you the result you want, but at least you can have a drink with them and feel good. And that's, again, now, you know, the catch in all of this is that most people, obviously, you know, if family business, they've been making, you know, certain, they're manufacturing certain products for all these years. They're really good at that. They know how that works. They know how the system plays out. They know all the pieces for that. That's sensational. The problem is, and the pro- they don't know anything about wealth management, for example. Yeah. They don't know what the legal rules are around certain deductions and how they can be used. They don't know a lot of this stuff. And remember, the government keeps coming out with new possibilities. When the CARE Act came out, for example, this CARES Act, you know, people were running all over the place trying to figure out what it said and what to do. And many people, turns out, got it wrong. So what is really important, and the way I say to a lot of the people, the business owners, what's really important is that you start to understand where the value is. So instead of thinking about the products, the services that people are talking about, right? Instead of thinking about the different trusts you might want to put in place, because that's how most of the professionals talk about it. You speak to a really good lawyer and they'll tell you, you need a CRUT and then you need an IDT and then you need, and you're sitting there thinking, I have no idea what we're talking about. And most people who run into those situations shake their head up and down as if they're paying attention. Don't know what he's saying, but it sounds sophisticated. I tell people, and I do this especially with family offices at the very high end, let's think in terms of outcomes. Okay. What do you want the result to be? Do not tell me how to get there. Do not tell me that this person said, we need to create the portfolio this way. None of that makes sense. If you're depending on these professionals, if you think in terms of outcomes, you are very likely to be in the direction of where you wanna go. What I mean by that is you're gonna get better results, right? You wanna tell somebody, I wanna retire at this age, I wanna have this kind of lifestyle, right? Then the professional, it's his or her job to figure out what the options are to help you get there. I deal with a lot of business owners like you do, Michael, and we both agree that they're smart. They're capable. They're smart, they did this. They might not know this field, that's naivety. That isn't you know, lack of intelligence. So we look at it as our job to help them to understand their options. And then the consequences of those options, the pros, the cons, the complications, et cetera, 
if we give them the information in a way that they can understand it and a way that it resonates with them as we do, they can make better informed decisions. And that's what's important, that they have the insight to make the best informed decisions. I am very bad when people have asked me, okay, Russ, what would you do? And I'll give you an example. One time, not too long ago, a person with billions of dollars asked me, in his situation, what would I do? Now, he has a complicated family situation and there are a lot of issues involved. And I said, very straightforward, if I had your money and I was in this situation, I'd pay the people off, I'd buy an island, I'd build a castle, build a moat and keep everybody away. Now, that would work really well for me. It would not work at all for him. So it doesn't matter what I will do. What right. became important is that we discussed how it works for him, what his options could be based on the outcomes he wanted. He didn't want the castle and the moat and the island. I really do, but he didn't. So we have different outcomes. So he had to, we had to together think through what he wanted to do. And he came up with options and solutions that made sense to him. And he made some decisions. And that's the way this is a, really works. With all of these things, you want to figure out where you want to take this and then make the decisions that can sort of you as a you know, the business owner can get you there, keeping in mind that things are going to change. By that, I mean, is that it's great. You have one agenda today and something happens in the world and life and everything else, and you have another agenda. Right, And there's no way that isn't going to happen. Life is messy. It doesn't run in a nice, easy, you know, simple way of doing things, which brings me to another point. You're in charge, you the business owner, you're in charge of this. This is your life. This is your family. This matters to you, right? We can't depend on the professionals to have the same uh, intensity or feeling about it, they don't. Now, that doesn't mean they're not empathetic and that doesn't mean they don't care, but it's a real big difference between what matters to you in your life and your family and somebody being concerned and caring, but on the outside. Right. Okay. Just to, yeah. So- You brought something up. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I just want, I just like the idea is that like the way Michael, you and I approach it, which is what makes it work so nicely. Our job, is to really understand you, really understand where you want to go, take the entire universe of options that are available because we have the experts and the team that's put together and show you possibilities so yeah. that you can make these very smart decisions. Yeah. So you bring up a really interesting point and I wanna just make sure that people are catching it. One of the first ways to start to say, you know, is this the right advisor, the wealth manager for my group, whether that regardless of whether they're the attorney, the accountant, or the, the wealth advisor, is are they are they talking about my objectives? Are they are they asking me what I want, or are they telling me about products or tools right away? Because if they're if you're jumping into products and tools right away, then you might get somewhere, but you don't they don't even know where you want to go yet. 
That's exactly right. When working with professionals, and I work with a handful of them, and I do mean a handful, when working with professionals, there's a process we call discovery, which is the job of the professional to really learn how your world works, what matters to you, those outcomes you're looking for, what you've done so far and how that's working for you. All these issues become top of, you know, that's the issue. That's what we have to focus on, okay? Discovery. So we have a rule. We call it the 10% rule tied to discovery. If the advisor is talking more than 10%, they're not listening, right? They're trying to convince you, persuade you, sell. In the model that we're talking about, in the framework that we are dealing with, selling is off the table. Yeah. There is no persuading, there is no convincing, there is no selling. The advisor is not trying to sell you anything, convince you of anything, persuade you for a particular solution. That advisor's job is to understand where your concerns are, where your goals are, and to show you possibilities to get those things resolved or those goals attained. Yep. It's a big difference and it's not semantics. It's not trying to convince, it's not trying to show you here's the right answer. And as you pointed out, Michael, it's not jumping in because if I jump in in the first 15 minutes because I have the solution, I can now solve your problem, I don't understand you. I understand your problem, I don't understand the implications, and all I'm doing is trying to sell you something. And we want to avoid that. So yeah. if the people aren't listening to you, and if you don't understand, and if they haven't demonstrated that they're listening to you, I mean, it's one thing to say, I'm listening. Now, I'll give you an example, and, and this comes more personal. Okay? My wife explained to me that listening, right? When she says something to me, listening is not being able to repeat what she said. That is not listening. That's being a tape recorder. <laughs> And very bluntly, I could understand that because I was very good at just repeating. I don't know what she wanted it done, but I was able to sit there and give her the last five or six words. And it sounded like I was really paying a lot of attention. And we both knew this wasn't really happening. Okay? That did not go well on a personal level. And I assure you, it doesn't go well on a professional one either. Okay? So listening isn't being able to parrot back something. Listening is being able to distill what that essence of what that conversation is about and make sure that you got it right and make sure that they understand you understand. And only then are you in a really good and capable position to start sharing possible solutions. That's the goal here. And that's just one indication. Uh, let's talk about a couple of others that sort of a giveaway that you're dealing with people who are not really paying a lot of attention to you. And I found this to be so obvious and so um, blatant when somebody, for example, when the professional, for example, you know, is looking at their phone and, and dealing with messages while theoretically talking to you, that's one of those red flags. It's like, you're not that important. Uh, the only time they should be doing that, if you ask, if they asked a very pertinent question and they needed an answer and you contacted someone to get you the answer. Right. Other than that, I don't, you know, unless it's a family emergency, 
that phone should be gone, for example. But that's something so easy. But if you think about it, I've seen so many advisors have the phone next to them while they're having a conversation. It's very common. It's very common, as you said, to jump in. It's very common to explain how great they are. Now, you want to work with great advisors. But when advisors tell you they're great, we have a problem. Okay, what advisor, if you ask them, would tell you they weren't? We're really bad, but we try hard. That doesn't <laughs> happen very often or at all. Uh. So, so the real key to this, the real key is the advisor. And what I mean by that is these advisors at the level we're talking about, like you know, you know, like Michael, for example, these advisors are able to deliver the range of expertise that's out there. And there's a limited range. If somebody came to you and said, I have a proprietary strategy that only I have and no one else has it, and you have to work with me to get it, and you have to sign a non-disclosure agreement with it, and you have to sign an end, yeah, okay, you should run for the hills because that person is a fraud. There is nothing, nothing out there that Michael can't deliver to you or somebody just as good as him can't deliver. It's at the top level, everybody can deliver. What the difference is, is making sure it aligns really tightly with what you want to accomplish with your outcomes. And even people who can deliver everything, they're not, only a small percentage of them are able to put all the pieces together like a jigsaw puzzle and get the right picture. That, those are the advisors you really are fo want to focus on. Those are the advisors you want to work with. Yeah. Those are the people who are gonna make a significant difference in your world. It's, that's a really good point. And I wanna make sure that people don't miss that. You know, I, what I, one of the things that I tell clients and prospects as I'm meeting, you know, high net worth, successful family businesses is that one of my superpowers is the ability to know what I don't know, but know where to find the answers. And, you know, as, a, as an example, I had a client and I just was stuck that they had a $20 million business and four kids, only one kid they wanted to pass the whole business to. And through the years, through the years, they had never pulled money out of the business. He, he ne never moved the money from, you know, the business pocket to the personal pocket. He always felt that he could do better at the business, which he did. So he grew this wonderful business, but now he's sitting there wanting to be him and his wife talking about being what they felt was equal, fair, would to be as close to equal as we could to all four of my kids. But I want to give my business to the, to the kid that's in it. I don't, he doesn't even have to buy it from me. And we went around and round for a bunch of years trying to figure out, you know, and, and trying things on. And, and eventually what I did is I just brought somebody in who just had a different idea that, you know, that I hadn't thought of. And that's, like I said, that's the superpower. We ended up with a design that the family was super excited about. You know, they're all going to be able to sit at the Thanksgiving dinner table together. And that was really important to them. 
Um, it was, you know, most people would look at the design and say, there's no way I would do that. But for this family, it was perfect. Well, that brings you, that comes right to the point that the idea is everything should be bespoke. Everything is customized to the family. And the other point you're bringing up is that the advisors, any family business owner needs to work with, it's, they need an elite team. A family business needs an elite team of professionals. Now, either the family itself is going to coordinate all these expertise and make sure that synergies come out the way they should, or they're going to have to rely on some individuals to act as those coordinators. There's no question that when you put all those pieces together and you look at it, you do get those synergies, as we're saying. You do get the advantages of having a lot of smart people working on your behalf in concert. Yeah. However, that is, again, less... That is uncommon. Let's put it bluntly. That's not what happens. The lawyer is trying to sell his or her legal services. The insurance agent's answer is insurance. The wealth manager, for example, says we need to tweak your investment portfolio. When they're looking at it from their point of view, I assure you, there are opportunities and situations that are not as beneficial to you as they probably can be. Yeah. And that is what we're trying to get beyond. Now, it turns out that most family business owners, for example, they just go with things. It's sort of like there is no critical consideration in how they're working with these professionals or even how they choose them. And that is where things fall apart because that leads to people getting less than exceptional service. Now, sometimes, as we said, as you pointed out, Michael, it's sometimes because you, people don't know what they don't know. So again, if I can show business owner, for example, family business owner, how to significantly control some of the risks in the family business, create a pool of money for acquisitions at the very same time, facilitate these acquisitions with pre-tax dollars cost-effectively and in a way that's going to be an estate planning strategy simultaneously, you know something? Sounds really good. The only problem is, Michael, well, you can do that and a few other people I know can do that. Most people I know don't know what we're talking about and that's where things fall apart. So what's really essential is that the business owner has to really understand it's up to them to push, to ask questions, to make sure they understand things. One of the biggest failings I believe from the business owners, from the wealthy in general at all levels, I am amazed to have so many of them uh, implement or bring on strategies or try solutions, they don't understand what's going on. Well, the lawyer said this is what we want to do. I said, do you know what it does? Not really. I said, well, that's not good. If it not really means we have no idea what we're buying out into. Right. 
and and the, and the lawyer and i'm just picking on the lawyer because they tend to be bad at this and the lawyer then shows them a stack of paper right he says we're going to sign all this and i asked do you know what that does he's and the client says well the lawyer does i said that's great <laughs> the lawyer knows what it does you don't let's make sure you know i'm not talking about the nuts and bolts but the big picture what you're going to get that's what needs to happen? And we're back to outcomes. Yeah. What are the big picture issues? You brought it up just now when you were talking about that family. And that's, and you've done it a lot of times and you've been really successful helping people think through the estate planning considerations. Most people don't. So for example, as you're pointing out, there's a real big difference between equal and fair. Equal is when all the different kids get the same right well that's wonderful except i spoke to a family four children like in your case one is running the company okay the responsible one i was told okay. two are um as smart as a block of wood and the fourth one is in rehab pretty much every other month so the conversation was I understand you love them all and that's great, but we can't approach this the same way because for just make it real simple. If you give all this one quarter of your wealth to the kid in rehab, the kid is dead. Right. Pure and the simple. Kid, yeah. The kid will kill himself. He will. No ifs, ands, or buts. We're sure of it. The other two children, well, who knows? You know, you can't fix stupid, he told me. And, and, and they fit the category according to him, not me, him. Right, right. Don't care, their assessment. And the only kid who's actually has any brains is the one running the company. And I said, if all four kids get a quarter of the company, the company will fail, right? right? So again, it becomes much more of what you want to accomplish, how to work through this process because Yes, there's lots of ways, and there were ways that we resolved it with different types of trusts and oversight and conservatorships, all sorts of things were put in place. There's right. a lot of flexibility to move it around. That actually, I would argue, is the easy part. The technical solutions, when you have a team like Michael's, for example, are easy because everybody's an expert and everybody can deliver. The hard part, the really hard part, is making sure that the options you're considering are some of the best possible options. That is the hard part that makes this thing really come together well. We, we like to call that the two stages of um, transition planning, whether it's an estate or the business. Mm -hmm. The two stages are people first, technical second. If you don't have that people part done, if you haven't gone through and thought about the objectives from each person's perspective and get everybody together, you know, and, and start to understand those things, it doesn't matter. The technical solutions don't matter. The technical solutions, you know, will just collapse. Yeah. Right. Great. We did this. Now, what's very interesting, though, is that so many professionals in this space, I'll say, lead with technical solutions. They, they ramble on about these in these meetings. I'm not sure it's because they 
don't have the expertise to deal with them as people. Sometimes I see it because they're trying to show how smart they are. And I said, that's great. It doesn't mean anything, but I'm glad you feel good about it, you advisor, as opposed to really being responsive to the client in this case. So many times it's because it's just the way the industry functions. And what's important to understand is that we really have to recognize that it's not about which technique or strategy is going to do it because it's gonna be a combination of things. My advice to the richest families in the world is let's stop thinking about the techniques because everybody's throwing them at you. Let's stop thinking about you know, the new investment that's gonna get you 0.015% more return. Let's start thinking about what you want. And we can back into, in a sense, all those other things, as you said, part one and part two. There's a strategy that's good for billionaires called floating islands, where if you have this kind of money and you are concerned about it being taken from you unjustly, you can literally create a system where it sort of bounces around the world based on algorithms and such. The idea of floating islands, it goes from one uh, tax haven type environment to the next. It's a really brilliant strategy, enormously complicated, very intricate in every stage. It is not appropriate for every billionaire by default. It just isn't. It is a very unique scenario for a very unique situation. And I tend to think even though a lot of the other stuff we talk about isn't as unique as that, it should be approached the same way. Correct. Right. Does this really fit your situation? And is it the best set of options? And considering the pros and cons of all of this, is it going to get you what you want? And like I said, the way Michael and I tend to approach it is that we would narrow down all those possibilities to a handful that are really good for a client. And then with the client, with the client, with the family business owner, with the family, go through all the different implications and advantages, for example, of what that's going to do so they can make a really smart decision. It, again, it's not what I want. It's not what I think is a good idea. It's not, doesn't matter. It's what matters to them. And no matter how much I listen, and I listen a lot, no matter how much I listen, no matter how much I really focus, no matter how caring I'm trying to be and focused and intense and all the rest, I'm never going to understand their world as well as they do as they live in it. And I'm not going to know certain things. And I'll tell you very bluntly, I know for a fact there are things they're not sharing with me by intent. They don't want to talk about certain things with me. And that's their prerogative, and I completely understand. Even though if I did know that, I might be able to come up with something else. That's not what this is about. They don't want to share. I understand that. Some things are really personal. Some things are family. That's what happened. That's life. That's how this works. So my job is not to push them in or suggest 
My job is to really make sure that they are, in a sense, educated around their world and their options so they can make really good informed decisions. Okay? Now, sometimes there's only one strategy that would work. And, they can, and then it's a yes or no decision. Right. Sometimes there are three and they have to pick. Sometimes there are ways we can do combinations. But what's really essential is that if you want to lower your taxes, that's a big objective and it's generally pervasive. There are a handful of ways to do it. It's great that I can show you the handful of ways. You decide what you want to do. That's how it all works. That's what makes it different. And that's what the best family offices, for example, the single family offices work that these billionaires set up for themselves. That's what they're doing. Right. They're coming up with these possibilities. They're working with different outside professionals. That's what you need to do as well. Whether you have somebody leading the charge for you and coordinating these other professionals or whether you want to do it yourself. Now, we find that most families don't want to do it themselves. <laughs> it's like, it sounds good on paper until they start talking to everybody. Right. They don't want to do it themselves, but they need somebody to pull it all together, to show Wait. them the options. That leads, you know, we share another passion about, you know, it, it, you may not know all the right questions to ask, but a lot of times, when you when you're looking at three or four different options all of a sudden it's illuminated very easily and one of the things that you have taught people and advisors and families for a long time is that the super rich on a pretty regular basis do something that the rest of the world traditionally doesn't do and that's called they stress test their wealth plans can you talk about that just a little bit and how that works for the super wealthy and why everybody should be doing that at least, you know, and how often? Well, let's put it this way. The world changes, as we do, we've been saying. It changes and it keeps changing. Well, what you did two years ago might not get you the results you want today from, for lots of reasons. One, those results might've changed. Two, the strategies that were working two years ago were not working as well today because of some changes in regulations and rules. All this is happening on a regular basis. And what's really essential is that this is not something you, put, you do and then you put on the shelf. So for example, lots of wealthy families, lots of business owners have estate plans, have a succession plan, have asset. That's great. They're only years old. You know, not too long ago, my mother, who is approaching 90, I made sure we redid her will and estate. And one of the things I noticed in it is that uh, my guardian died 25 years ago, and it's still there. So, you know, I don't think I need a guardian anymore, but nevertheless, it was still in, you know, it's so out of date, it wasn't even funny. Now, Again, we're not talking about lots of money here, but we're talking about what she wants to have happen. Most people are dealing with out of state, I mean, out of date planning. Um, they even have inaccurate portfolios because of what they want to do and what's really there. It's just all, I'll say, at the edges wrong. 
It might not be totally wrong, but certainly at the edges, they tend to be problems. Stress testing is a process where you are evaluating, am I gonna get the results I want based upon what I've done? And the family offices are doing this perpetually. And if you're working with a good advisor, you're sort of doing it perpetually. It's not like you have to stop and say, today we're gonna to do stress testing. It's sort of an ongoing process. It's ongoing because the advisors you are working with are spending a lot of time and effort making sure that they are continually up to date on a number of things. One of the things is what you're thinking, what you want, the outcomes again. Another thing they're up to date on, how the rules are changing because they keep changing, right? They just keep changing. They change the retirement laws pretty much annually in some way, shape or form. So you have to have those two pieces. And a third piece is what's happening in the world in general and how that might be impactful. So when you look at that, people like Michael, I know you're doing it, but you're always looking at these things and then you're proactive in the sense of, I then go to the client. You then go to the client and say, here's what's happening. Let's talk about what this means for you. Right. Right. How does it and, impact your objectives? Right, exactly. But you're gonna find that most of the time, the investment advisor, for example, will meet you once a year to you know, rebalance your portfolio. Congratulations, Eureka, okay? That's not about you anymore, that's about them. So when it really comes down to it, you know, stress testing is something that the advisor is always attentive to. It's also part of just the way they're working. And what's so critical in all of this is that the focus has to be very much on you, the business owner. And it has to stay there. And the minute it starts drifting or goes back to what the advisor wants or what the advisor needs or what the advisor wants to do or some product or service they are psyched up about, then there's a good chance it's not gonna work for you, the business owner, the way we really want it to work. Yeah. So stress testing is, we'll say perpetual in this model. We, we just um, brought in a new client recently this year. And it was interesting because we had a relationship with them in another way. You know, we, we did investment management on one account but um, long story short, it was, you know, it was another advisors. It was my father's client years ago. And dad was more of the mindset of, hey, you know, we're managing this money. This is great. This is all we need to do where, you know, I have that philosophy of when you push one button, another one pops up. It's like whack-a-mole. Some things are happening all over. And there's, you know, you need to look at the whole picture. So I, I approached the family and I said, would you be open to stress testing and looking at what's going on here based on what your objectives are? And long story short, they had five different financial advisors in their life. They had an attorney in their life that did you know great document work, but none of this was coordinated. And, and when you started to dig into it, you know, this is a family that was, you know, north of $10 million net worth, two kids. 
And when I showed them the amount of money that was going to each of the kids, they both looked at each other and said, we can't send them that much money. That's too much. What were we thinking? How come nobody showed us this before? And it was really itty bitty tiny simple for them to look at it and say, I, I don't want my kids to each get over $5 million because they, they don't understand. They didn't work for it. They didn't, they, you know, it's just not their world and we'll upset the apple cart. And so they're bringing the kids in to have the meeting with them to just to say, you know what, we're not going to, you know, they don't have, the kids probably don't have any idea how much it is. Cause it's again, that family business that they've done well, but you know, they're not ostentatious. They don't, you know, they don't big live big, but just that little piece of doing that stress test and just, I didn't even know all of their objectives at that point, but you know, it was just a, it was just to sit down to say, let me show you what's happening right now. And that immediately said, Michael, would you take care of all this? Well, that's, that's exactly what tends to happen. Now, one of the saddest parts about being in this industry is that it's the realization that most clients at every level of wealth and every different area from celebrities to family business owners from corporate are being poorly served. Poorly served is that they are not getting, they're not optimizing. They, they just, because they don't know how, because they're not dealing with the right circumstances, the right people. And it really comes down to, if you have advisors who understand things like stress testing, understand that the focus is on the client, understand that all the strategies come, you know, second stage, third, whatever, down the line. If that, that's a different mindset. That's a different way of thinking about it. Because remember, not only do we want to make sure we're doing the right thing, we want to make sure that all the possible things we can be doing, we're considering. Yeah, right? so important. And it's not happening. It just doesn't happen very often. We fact, live. In, I was just going to say we live in a world where many advisors think about assets under management, and once the assets are there, they kind of tend to just manage the assets, and the value is brought when all these unique ideas, or sometimes they're not even unique. It's just that we're talking about them and exposing them and educating them and looking at their wealth, not just from an investment perspective, but also from an estate, a business, a retirement, financial independence, a transition, you know, all of the different tax perspectives that, that it makes a big giant difference. And that's the value that really is added when you have the right team around you. Exactly. By putting that expert team together, by having it coordinated, you just can't have a bunch of great, brilliant people floating around here. You're going to get nothing. By having it coordinated, you're going to end up, the business owner, the family business is going to end up uh, with all the possible advantages that are available. And this is what the super rich do, the people worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars are doing. This is what everybody can do. And slowly, I feel, it is starting to become more common among more people, more professionals. But I said slowly, and I mean, you know, snail slowly, it looks like. <laughs> it is not happening fast. So I tell people, it is your responsibility. I tell the wealthy, I tell the business owners, 
it's your responsibility to put your to be selfish mm -hmm. single family office mantra is family first you have to think of you and your family first right and then you have to ask questions and you have to be inquisitive and you have to push when people i mean i remember it's it's really entertaining at this point when i've seen clients say to professionals so the client goes to professional tell them what they're going to do and the client says i don't understand and i'm serious very serious the professional then says the same thing louder <laughs> now now that's that, that's an old joke but i'm seeing it for real so i'm thinking to myself well this doesn't make any sense or they say oh here's my other one when the professional says trust me i said oh that doesn't make any sense at all trust you can you just if you can't explain it to me yeah what's the trust yeah <laughs> right so what we're getting at is i want to convey that it is responsibility of the business owner the family business owner if they want to make sure their family goes on for generations if they want to make sure the kids are taken care of if they want to make sure the different generations are addressing the matter the way they want it's their responsibility to think about what they want to accomplish to be i'll say appropriately cynical when they are just told things and to really start asking questions so that they are comfortable and understand. If they do that, it's a high probability that they're going to get much better results than they ever would have otherwise gotten. Yeah. Sage advice, sir. So I just want to say thank you for joining us. This has been a great conversation you and i i know we could probably sit here for eight hours discussing all these things and putting it together and trying to solve you know the, these issues for everybody but i think that you know the walk you know if when people are walking away from this conversation it's you know if i were summing it up it's make sure that your 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 team is focused on the family's objectives and what you're trying to accomplish what are the end results don't worry about the techniques first you can't worry about the people and your and your objectives and then you know make sure you're you're politely cynical i think that's a really really great thing make sure that they're educating and showing you you know these techniques how does what are the pros and cons of these different techniques as we're going through you know that will help me get to what i'm trying to you know to do and it's okay to stress test and i'll even throw out russ one of the things that i have started to do even with my own clients is to say, you know, you may not want to, but if you're buying a new car every two to three to five years, it's okay to check on me and bring in another advisor and say, let, let them stress test your situation without my, without me doing it and seeing it, you know, if we're missing anything, there's all, you know, and I would, you know, sanction to say that, that, doesn't happen too often because I have been listening and doing doing the right work, but it's a-okay to say, let me look at what another team brings to the table, maybe every five years. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head all around. And I think that if people are taking your advice, they're going to end up with much more, uh, they're gonna end up with results much more aligned with where they wanna be and how they're gonna end 
It's going to get there in the most cost-effective manner. It's the way the super rich are approaching this. It's the way I think everybody should. Yeah. So ladies and gentlemen, let's say thank you to Russ Allen Prince for joining us. You can find Russ. He's so easy to find. Russ Allen Prince, just Google him. And there's articles and books and tons of things. And if you happen to be one of those families that's working on a multifamily office or, you know, a single family office and are looking for some help, Russ is definitely, you know, a great resource to help you with those things. So again, my name is Michael Columbus um, with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And thank you for joining us. We look forward to having you on one of our future shows. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting edge information to help you maximize your family business. Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with The Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy LLC is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.